You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 107.7 and 105.3 from New Orleans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fika. Our guest today is Landis Wade, and if you feel a lack of holiday cheer or cheer of any kind, this author of the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy, Cozy Mysteries, will warm your heart and make you smile, laugh even, while providing a twisty, troublesome puzzle to solve. As a retired trial lawyer, there is a realism to Landis's books that will make you feel secure in his world. Well, he asks you to return to a world where you still believed in less tangible truths. We find it easy to dismiss myth as childish. So books about dragons, fairies, and even Santa Claus are often seen as children's books. As a disclaimer, I would like to note that I do not dismiss children's books, and I'm actually a big fan. In fact, they're all just books to me. But those who do should take a peek into the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy because it was, deals with some big thoughts for big people, adults if you wish, despite the size of its owls, which we'll be discussing today. The biggest mystery for me is how someone who has worked in the justice system for 35 years and has probably seen some stuff can still write such a wonderfully joyful and hopeful book. The world needs more of this. Bravo, Landis. Thank you for your story, and welcome to FICA. So thank you, Vicki, for letting me be here today. It's a real honor, especially at this time of the year where the lights are twinkling and people are excited. I, actually, there was a passage in your book where you mentioned where one of the characters enjoyed coming down the, the stairs and putting the Christmas tree lights on and just looking at them. And that really registered with me because that is my favorite part of Christmas, that for the week, week even before Christmas and after, just coming down, sitting there in the quiet darkness and looking at the lights. So... I really enjoyed that part of it. Yeah, thank you. That was that's been a tradition in our family for years. Um, I'm gonna have to figure out how to adjust now that I just sold my two story house. I'll have to walk into the room <laughs> and turn, turn the tree on uh, and not come down the stairs. But uh, yeah, I can remember uh, when the kids were younger, I would be the first one down the stairs to turn the light on, make sure everything was there, that Santa Claus had actually come, and uh, it was good for them to come down the steps. So, yes, no, I, all of those little things it, is what makes it so special, right? Thank you, yes, yes. Yes, for all of us. So you began writing these stories, these books, for the family. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I'm sort of an accidental writer. I was practicing law for 35 years, and uh, around Thanksgiving every year, I was still practicing in my mid-50s, Around Thanksgiving, things start to slow down with the court system a little bit. You start scheduling not to have trials around Christmas, but push them to the next year if you can. And so uh, around Thanksgiving, I was doing a little writing, and I would always write these little stories but never finish them because I would go back to work. And then <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was working on this idea. I said, well, I'm going to write a little mystery here. It's going to be set in a courtroom. And uh, while I was writing it in my study, uh, my wife, it was Christmas evening. We'd had, I mean, Thanksgiving evening, we'd had... Thanksgiving turkey, and uh, one of the first movies she puts in is Miracle on 34th Street. So I'm in there working. I can hear, you know, the big scene come up where, uh, you know, they're in the courtroom near the end, and uh, no spoilers. I hope everybody's watched Miracle on 34th Street um, by now. I think we're allowed spoilers <laughs> with that one. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think so too. Yeah, uh, yeah, and watch the black and white version if you get a chance. But uh, it's that scene, you know, where um, the male – uh, department decides to deliver all their letters that were t sent to Santa Claus to the courtroom, and they put them on the table there. And he proves this this little lawyer does something he didn't think he could do. He proved that this this man uh, was the one and only Santa Claus. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder if I could write a mystery set on Christmas Eve entirely in the courtroom involving Santa Claus. And the what if that came to my mind was, what if a long, long, young lawyer 
who really didn't believe in Santa Claus because he is an adult and a lawyer after all, uh, gets a case where he's got to represent someone who thinks he works for Santa Claus, who tells him that unless he wins this case for him, Christmas will not come for all the children in the county. And so that was sort of the what if that got me started on book one. And I wrote um, for like 20 days. Every I'd come home every night um, from work and my wife would say, where are you going? And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm going to find out what happens next. <laughs> happen next. You know, I was just writing. I was writing this courtroom scene. I'd bring another witness in. We'd have some fun with it. And I kept going and I finished it at about 1030 uh, PM on Christmas Eve, uh, printed it out, um, put, uh, it in a little folder for everybody and wrapped it up, put it under the tree. Um, and I like to joke about this. They, they looked at it and like, what? what? <laughs> yes. It's like I'd given them socks or something. Dad wrote a story. You finished the story, you know? And of course it's Christmas morning. You're not just going to stop everything and read it. Right. So, you know, we go on with the day, but then they read it and, um, then the word got out to a few of my law partners. They read it. And, you know, it was rough. I needed to do some work on it. And so um, I decided, well, let's let one of my law partners who had published, uh, who'd been published, um, recommended an editor. And I spoke to them. And um, the next thing you know, I'm working on editing this. And it comes out, you know, for the next Christmas for other people to read. And it was so much fun. I said, well, let's do it again. And I got the idea for the second book. And this is this is this is the point this these books i can see being part of a yearly tradition or yeah. one book per year where maybe i'm getting too many visions of sugar plums here <laughs> where the family can either read aloud or take turns reading um jointly this this story because it is an adult story but it is you know it, it there, there is a level on which kids will really love it as well. Um, yeah, it was fun. Um, one of the fun, fun things that happened with that first book was when it came out, my wife was teaching fifth grade and one of her co-teachers said she would like to have the children in the class read the book uh, uh, up until about the last three or four chapters. Um, and then I came in and read the last few chapters to the class. And that was a lot of fun uh, to do. And it was a lot of fun to have them you know, participate uh, in it to look in their eyes and see, you know, the surprise at the ending of the story. Yeah. So there was a lot of benefits to writing that, that story that you didn't even consider at the beginning, like experiences. Uh, there were so many benefits to writing that story for me personally, because um, it launched me into believing and belief is a big uh, theme in these books, but into believing that perhaps I could be a writer. It was something I had toyed with, uh, you know, as a youngster, um, but, you know, I had to make a living. So I went into law instead. And, uh, uh, but I'd kind of kept it on the back burner, but when I wrote this and people said they liked it and they would like to see me write another one, well, that kind of gave me the juice to get back in there. And then, you know, um, we'll talk more about what happened next, but, uh, yeah, it was kind of the start of something that's been a great creative outlet for me, uh, to the point where when I was 61 and decided to retire from a law firm and leave a a good paying job for a not very good paying job. <laughs> a <laughs> non-paying job. A non -paying we job. always laugh about that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. where you work for three cents an hour or something. Uh, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, I decided uh, I really didn't want to spend my 60s um, representing big companies and, you know, helping them exchange money, uh, win or lose and so forth. I wanted to be more creative in my 60s and maybe leave something behind um, beyond, uh, you know, just that. And it gave me a start. It gave me a start and it, it led me to podcasting and it led me to interviewing now more than, uh, 500 authors. Um, and as you know, from interviewing, um, Vicki, you do a great service for the authors to have on your show. But, um, if, if your experience is like mine, you get a whole lot, uh, in return from these because you learn from th these people's experiences. And I got to learn from, other authors and, and how they did things. And uh, as I told them, you know, look, I'm just stealing your ideas for my next book. <laughs> you know? That happens a lot. I get told that a lot. Yeah, but it, <laughs> I'll, but I'll say something it, and they'll say, oh, I'm taking that. And I'm like, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> it's, it's permissible. I mean, because they're, they're in a new structure under the sun, right? So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of 
And plus, you know, you can become a good writer by being a reader and, and doing the same thing by learning from other writers. But but asking them about their writing uh, is also a great way to become a better writer. Well, it's like traveling, right? The more that you read, the more landscape you see that's out there that you can use and utilize and the possibilities. And uh, But on the downside, it's also like, oh, these people are so talented. Right. <laughs> I'll never, yeah. I'll never be able to. But but that's, I mean, this is, you're a good example. So your advice to a, to a writer would be just jump in there. Yeah, just I think do I, I do. I think so. I think if you've... Um, got just a little bit of an itch for it, jump in there, um, give it a try. But I would also recommend taking some courses, um, befriending some authors. I mean, one of the, one of the authors on our show said the best thing that an author can have uh, is an author friend who's much more talented than they are. You know, So make friends with uh, experienced authors. Uh, go take classes, uh, read books. Uh, if you're not a reader, you're not going to be a writer. Um, you've got to love to read to, to be a good writer. Uh, read a lot. Read um, not just the craft books particularly, but read the kind of books that you think you would like to write uh, and then write the kind of book that you think you would like to read. Don't write something you think is going to make you successful or chase some trend. But if you enjoy um, something, write about it. And if you do, it'll give you more energy to finish the project than it would if you didn't have a sort of a vested interest in it. Because... I would I would think that the era of the big author making it overnight um, is is not so predominant anymore. And so you might as well write something that you love. You might as well write something that you share and feel really good about because yeah. because but on the other hand, the fact that you liked it is probably going to make it more successful. Yeah. I mean, I was interviewing David Badalci recently and he said, you know, look, I don't write things that don't interest me. He said, it's just not a good practice. He said, he said if I, he said, I, I might've done that once before, but it didn't, didn't go very far. And, you know, I, I think the authors who, I mean, if you think about it, um, if an author is really, really interested in their subject matter, they're going to work hard to bring that out on the page and you will see it when you read their book. And you'll feel their passion. Right. Like, I do believe you can feel the author through their words and mm. you can feel that passion and that will excite you about the book as well. So when we're talking about experiences and passions in the book, you <clears throat> were a courtroom <laughs> trial lawyer. Um, the protagonist is a courtroom trial lawyer and it bring i mean even the details as far as researching for the case and going into into you know the city office or whatever are so real but they're so they're not like in your face real they're matter of fact like this is you don't really notice them but they're definitely there do you think you would have chosen to write despite watching miracle on 34th street <laughs> you would are hearing it you would have chosen to write in that scenario if you didn't have that experience um that's a great question um probably not because that was my easiest entry point um i mean i think anytime you're trying to start something new, learning the craft. Um, I'm still learning the craft of writing, obviously, even after doing it for eight or nine years. But I think having some inside knowledge, some inside baseball, some that helps you get your words on the page and helps you tell a story. I mean, look, if, if, if someone's a physician who's in the operating room on a daily basis, they're going to bring the operating room much more alive than I could, you know, only having been operated on in the operating room without doing a little research. And you, you hear this whole thing, you know, write what you know, but that is not necessarily limited to what you know from your personal experience. It also includes what you can research, what you can learn by interviewing people, what you can learn by reading. But a nice entry point is knowing what you know because you've experienced it personally. And of course I had for 30 some years had been a, a trial lawyer and I had seen the ins and outs of the courtroom. I knew how lawyers behaved both well and not so well. And, uh, so I could bring that uh, you know, into the books. And I thought with the first book, I kind of went back to when I was a young, actually, I was actually a college student. And I went to, and did an internship in the DA's office uh, where I was just a runner for one of the assistant district attorneys. And I saw what then was called the People's Court, which is what I call it in this book, because it's uh, 
it's really the lowest court. It's where people come in and they can tell their story without a lawyer. They can tell it with a lawyer. Um, and I think I, you know, talked about um, how there, you know, it was sort of a place where people get regularly convicted <laughs> with their regular lies, you know. But anyway, it's a place where people can come tell their story. And I thought, well, that's a place to start. You know, we can put on some evidence. It doesn't have to have a lot of procedure. In the second book, I took on a different topic, uh, condemnation. Somebody's going to take a house. And honestly, I had done some condemnation cases, but I think it's, it's good for any author to do a little research. So I reached out to somebody in the local community who, who was well-known for handling condemnation cases, and we sat down for lunch, and I picked his brain. And then in the third book, um, not only do we have a class action lawsuit, which I've been involved in before, and not only do we have a uh, criminal case in federal court, but I decided we'd have a case before the Elf High Council because, you know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> and they're tough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're yeah. definitely tough. So you're, it, it will definitely give you confidence for your first book to know mm -hmm. the subject matter. But, it, yeah, there, there are plenty of ways to research and find out what you need to know. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the podcast, the uh, Charlotte Readers podcast and the books, and you have definitely, definitely thrown yourself into your second life, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> surrounded you, yourself completely. And, and I understand that it because it is a whole world. It is a whole world to enter into. How do you think that has has made your retirement? Um, are you glad? you did that? Did you get overwhelmed some days? But do you think it was an overall positive experience for you to do that? So it has been an overall positive experience um, because I've stayed busy. And, uh, you know, a lot of people when they enter uh, this thing called retirement, um, you know, they think, well, it's time to kick back and relax. But, you know, they might have 20 or 30 years left and they spent 30 or 40 years. They're not just going to stop uh, using their brain, stop doing things that are creative. And I think it's important for people to stay active and continue to do things and find something that they have a passion for. And, you know, I had this passion for writing and learning to write. And actually, after I wrote these three books, um, I didn't write my next book for about three years because I spent three years interviewing authors before I wrote that novel to, to be sure that, you know, I had actually learned enough to, to take it to the next level. And so, um, that was, uh, for me, that was a learning experience, but also not just to learn how to work the mixing board and the, <laughs> the podcast mic and all that stuff, but to learn more from these authors about, uh, not only how to write uh, a full length novel, but, uh, how to promote it and, and get it out into the world. And well, we're talking about that. You're, you're talking about asking them the questions and learning about writing. You also, which I haven't had a chance to look into, <laughs> But I'm sure it's good. Um, you also have a series of books out there called Writer's Quotes, correct? Right. Where you, yeah. where you, um, and you co-wrote that with Sarah, that Sarah Archer, that was in the show last week, as well as Death by Podcast, yeah. uh, that I I reviewed last week. Wonderful, funny as well, mystery and um, very cliche and nostalgic. <laughs> and I just loved it. I just ate it up because you do have this tendency of putting in favorite shows and mm -hmm. favorite things like that that just makes the reader perk up and say, "I like that. I'm yeah. with him." You know. <laughs> Yeah, I know where I, he's going with this. I was a fan of Only Murders in the Building, and and so when <laughs> I pitched that idea to Sarah, I said, "Come on, we're we're podcasters. What do you think if one of our <laughs> upcoming authors guests got mad at us for asking the wrong question and decided to knock us off? We, we can come up with a little little story about that, and uh, we had fun writing it together. Yeah, and and it is the perfect. Uh, I, I would like to say, if I may, that you are really getting this marketing thing down pat. I'm mm -hmm. very impressed. Um, right down to like at the beginning we mentioned last week. And what I love is the Archer and Wade uh, <laughs> uh, at the bottom, which immediately made me think of something on, you know, a Humphrey Bogart door, right? <laughs> it does have that noir, the noir feel to it, right? <laughs> yeah. It does. It's it, it, it's it's wonderful. But at the end of the book, authors out here take note because Vicky did. There is a chapter from one of each of your books. 
right. which yes. which is a wonderful a wonderful plus, and um, and just with your your website and everything is very and also doing the podcast allows you to network, get to know things like we were chatting a bit in the green room before and, <laughs> and yep. sharing ideas, and it's not. It's not a competition. It's, you know, because it's about getting people to read. From an author's point of view, if people read, you're going to sell more books, but from a worldview, because books like this, I think, can really make changes in the world because they are positive and they are, um, well, they're just wonderful. But we'll get into we'll get- Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, no, 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 no. You wouldn't see this is how I work. I I, to get authors, I just well, I like Sarah, and and Sarah is very conscientious about her work. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to check out her podcast partner because she's not going to work with a schmuck, right? (laughs) She's just not. And so I did at perfect timing. Um, I was thinking about the holidays and you had Christmas books and I was like, okay, (laughs) the universe is syncing up here, people. (laughs) This is, and, and they're just, they're just so, um, joyful. So we, we talked about the, um, so let's get into, because, okay, there is the tech part of writing and there is the tech part of stories, but Vicky always delves deeper to <laughs> to what's going on be, be, be yeah. uh, behind your story. And sometimes the author say, no, Vicky, I didn't mean that. And I'm like, reader gets last chance, right? <laughs> reader, sure, I sure. decide. But so we have these lovely little books in a small town um, that... Uh, that have Santa Claus and Christmas and people they're they're sweet and they're and they're and they're lovely and you can read them in front of the Christmas tree and they will make you happy and but that is only part of these books. Yeah, there's always an evildoer in every book, right? <laughs> there's always an evildoer, but even <laughs> the optimism and the ideas. Um So I have often said on this show that traditional storytelling changes with the needs and the times of of the community, right? So we have a myth such as Santa Claus that has, or real, and real, okay, I take that back. Knock on wood. No naughty nice for Vicky. No naughty list for Vicky. Um, Despite what some of the, what some of the, um, um, oh, and look at that. And look at that. Just Claus just popped up with ho, ho, ho. Santa is watching. I can't get a break. <laughs> I can't get a break. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, he's always watching. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the thing. But in this book, we go into some worldly matters that are happening today and show that even in the elf world, it's not as pleasant as you might think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even in the elf world, there are people that don't want to be open-minded or adapt or make the changes needed for the goodness of everyone because they like the status quo, they like their power, they like all of those things. And is that a part of the lawyer coming out? <laughs> it's like, is this... Yeah, well, you asked earlier, um, you know, how could a lawyer possibly write something hopeful? I mean, that could be the next lawyer joke, right? Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I think it's um, interesting. It, it, even when you have um, characters that are uh, evildoers, as I like to call them uh, in the book, the ones who are making life difficult for our protagonists, who are putting obstacles in their way, who don't want them to achieve their goals, um, there's always a side of them that, um, you know, if a book is written well, uh, lets you sort of try to understand who they are and what their position is and why they're doing what they're doing. And so this this trilogy has an arc. I'd like to say that I knew it when I wrote the first book, but of course I didn't. I did not know that I would write a second and a third. Um, but, you know, each of these, uh, some of these main characters, they have this arc over the course of the book. One of the people in the book is... Uh, a little guy from the North Pole, or he says he works for a company called North Pole Enterprises. He's not going to admit that he works for Santa Claus, Hank Snow. 
And he's trying to disrupt every chance that Raker has, the, the young lawyer, to win a Christmas case. Uh, and you can't understand where he's coming from or why he's doing what he's doing. And it's not until the third book, and I won't give away any spoilers, which in, is entitled The Christmas Redemption, that you find out who Hank Snow really is and why he's been doing what he's doing and whether there will be some redemption at the end of this tale. So sort of by using some of the, that to, to answer your question, Vicki, yes, I think that uh, you're always going to run into power structures no matter whether you're in an organization that's as small as a mom-and-pop outfit uh, where somebody's trying to take control and run things to the biggest corporation or government entity in the world. There are going to be people who do things for power, and there are those people in these books. And yet, even those people sometimes have explanations for why they do what they do. And Hank Snow is is one of those uh, enigmas that uh, we can't figure out until maybe the last pages of the third book. And it's, it comes down to what people think are is important. Example in Jaws, where they're saying, we don't want to tell people not to go into the water. Um, those people are thinking about commerce and money and, and what's good for the town in a fiscal kind of way, as opposed to people actually staying alive. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so we may say that's evil, <laughs> but... But, you know, it is what makes the world go around. Um, so I'm, I'm on the other. You know. <laughs> and, and, and it's also nice to have some misdirection when you're writing a mystery, because in the first book, you, you know, you don't you can't get you don't know who's being evil for sure. I mean, you've got this, the, a little bit about that book. You know, you've got a homeless man who is on trial for stealing a flash drive, the county and in particular, the county manager. uh has accused him of stealing that flash drive and says it belongs to the county and wants to get it back because it has all this information on it relating to the houses in the community and where the chimneys are. And it has information about children on the flash drive. And she thinks he's a homeless man. He might be up to no good. So she's trying to get it back. And so you're not sure if she's right. By the way, a little aside here, my dad was the county tax attorney for about 40 or 50 years in the town where I live in. So I sort of got some of this idea <laughs> for, for the county yes. tax attorney you know, <laughs> from my father's experience. And as he's reading, he says, wait a minute, the, the tax collectors aren't always bad, you know? And I'm like, okay, okay, just read to the whole end of the book and you'll find <laughs> out. But uh, yeah, but this idea that um, you're not sure, you know, because people's motives, uh, she has a good motive. She thinks, she thinks that Henry Edmonds is up to no good. So she's trying to get it back. Henry Edmonds thinks she's up to no good because if she keeps it, she's going to deprive him of what he needs. He, he's telling his lawyer to help save Christmas. And uh, so there, so you got this, you've always got this competing thing going on in any novel, any story uh, where, um, and I do love those books where you're not sure whether the narrator is telling you the truth or not. Uh, and you can't figure it out <laughs> that until, darn narrator <laughs> until the end. And in this in this case, um, I like I liked having some fun with it because I wanted to your earlier question. I wanted to bring out the real life situation of a courtroom, but but turn it up on its head a little bit by putting on what many people in the legal community would say is totally fabricated situation that'll be thrown out of court right away. You know, you bring in this case. You have a lawyer asserting a defense that relates to Santa Claus, and you got a judge who's about to retire, who's wasting it. He thinks everybody's it's, wasting his time. And so, you know, it it just sort of was fun to put together. And to, as I said earlier, to see where it would take me, because I did not know how it was going to end when I started writing it. I was just having fun exploring this idea of, you know, because I, there's some line in the book about uh, – I'm not sure whether it's first or the second book. Um, you know, I think it is the first book uh, where the judge confronts one of the elves and and says, "I guess you're going to be you're going to be talking about Santa Claus now, whatever, whatever." And 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 you think, and she says something like, "Well, you know, you were the most doubting people of all, you lawyers." You know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's good. You know, we put that right there, put it right out front, and 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 also thought, it, you know, it's always been. And some people don't like, you know, this idea of the naughty and nice list and this, that, and the other, um, whether you should be nice to get a present. It's just sort of the, the lore, you know, of the story. But this idea 
that um, there might be people who are adults who still believe and believe for the right kind of reasons. And I thought, well, let's put that to the test. You know, kids are always being challenged to be uh, good, to tell the truth and that kind of thing. So let's put it in the courtroom and let's let the truth come out. Let's put Christmas on trial. Let's have time running out and let's get to the truth of this matter about Santa Claus, but in a way that kids can read the book too. Yes. Yes. No, no. It was very respectful of the, the children in the book were respected by the adults, the nice adults anyways. Mm -hmm, (laughs) And, And it was very respectful to if the, if it's being read to a younger person or the younger person is reading it because they could, um, it is, it is very respectful to them. And that's always so important to me when I, you know, sometimes there are books that are written for children, which I'm like, this, this is not, no, they're not going to take this, <laughs> but um, why should they? But it's, it, it, it was done very well. I think I mentioned that. And speaking of naughty, nice lists, I have just been um, told that I am on the naughty list. Uh <laughs> In the comments, um, but you know, I, I I don't I don't care. We already know I'm a rebel about that because I think I think like I, it is part of the lore, but I do think sometimes it's overused by mm. <laughs> parental mm. figures, and so I'm like, there was no not a year nice list in in our house. <laughs> so, but, but and thank you for the comment about the children because I thought it was important. Um, I mean, I found you know books where there are children, heroes, and heroines to be, you know, very captivating. I mean, some of the better books that have ever been written involve children as heroes. And we had an author on our show, uh, Mark West, who writes children books, and he talks about the fact that, you know, you shouldn't be dumbing those down because children are much smarter than you give them credit for. And if you look back to the uh, the Nancy Drew books or the, or the Hardy Boys books or you know, you could take the Harry Potter series or um, any other, you, you know, there was a great movie one time, uh, Stand By Me, I think it was, where the kid, mm-hmm. the boys, you know, solve the mystery together and they're only 12 years old. I mean, this idea that you know, kids, so I thought it'd be great. Let's have Thad Raker in book two. Thad Raker has lost his wife. He's got his young daughter. She's now 11 years old. Um, She's struggling with whether to believe in Santa Claus, but she doesn't want to upset her father because after all, he's the guy who saved Christmas. uh, And yet he's not wanting to believe anymore either because things, his world has turned upside down and she becomes, yeah. And she becomes an advocate for him to help him realize that uh, maybe he put the blinders back on too soon. And she, she goes alongside him. And then of course in book three, she's grown up, she's an adult and she takes up a bigger role in helping her father uh, do the work of uh, saving Christmas. And I think it's also important, I have it down, the example that all the different ages, all the different, um, you know, different types of people, different backgrounds, all the believers work together to make this happen. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a kid's book. It's not just an adult's book. This story can appeal to everyone everywhere. And and that optimism of, of people working together without those labels, like you talk about, okay, so the lawyer is going to be cynical. Um, I'm kind of big on that label, <laughs> 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 obviously, from my beginning right. comments. Um, right. You know, this, this, this world... Um, Santa's world is going to be perfect with all candy canes and, you know, sugar plums and, and all of these things are just not real. That is not who the people really are. And sometimes Mm -hmm. people will take the damage for what they love and what they care about Mm -hmm. in this case. Can you help me? Because I'm sitting here and I knew all the time I was reading, it was bothering Hank Snow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Was that a country singer back in the 40s? Do you know? Because I swear no, there were. H- Hank Williams was, but not Hank Snow. Hank Williams both. Okay, there was a snow. There was a snow. I, I got to Google been, that. Um, um, but I, yeah, I had fun with the names. You know, there's Hank Snow in the third book. There's Tarina Winter. Uh, we have Snowflake. <laughs> you know, who's an elf. 
We have Snowflake the Elf. So yeah, I, you know, it was fun to to just pick names that kind of you know brought out the the seasonal weather a little bit. Sparkle and yes, yeah. yes. How much seasonal weather do you get there in in South Carolina? We, uh, well, we're here in Charlotte, which is on the border. We're in North Carolina, but just on the border. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's but, what. That's what. Yeah. It, it's uh, it's four seasons, but they're they're clumping together a little more than they used to. Yeah. Um, so it's cold now. It's uh, well, cold, not cold by your standards, I guess, but we're, you know, it's between thirty and fifty-five or something during the day. We're very moderate. We saw some yeah. snow um, this year so far, knock on wood. I mean, last mm -hmm. year we had blizzards. So you never know where right. we are, what's what's going to happen. So I was just wondering. I love, we went to a conference once in North Carolina, and I love it. Mm. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's a great place to live. Um, yes, yes, no. Um, no, in the mountains, and it's just it's, it's just lovely. Okay, so back from my little geographic tour there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, just, I just like to know. I mean, you don't always get a feel for weather in different places, right? And it makes well, it, it is nice because we have the mountains, we have the Piedmont, and we have the coast. And if you live in the center of the state, you can get uh, to either one of those, uh, the water or the mountains, in about three or four hours. So you're, it's a pretty nice location. It sounds, yeah, no. Perfect. So when we talk about the passions and the believing, um, like Thad, the protect the the protagonist, right? Um, mm -hmm. he is just such a down to earth, regular kind of guy. Like I said, he reminds me of, you know, it's a wonderful life. He's doing all these fantastic things, but he doesn't realize it. So mm -hmm. he's humble, and and so when these believers in the book you know why do people stop believing why do you because you know if you don't stop you get picked on if it, you know that passion and even as you get older if you believe in the goodness of the world or you try to make happiness or anything in that category you're sort of considered naive gullible you know maybe not caring about what's really going on and and so these are some of the reasons people stop believing and 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 stop you know in life in hope and as you said earlier that hope in the story that hope um for like a second life you know a second a second mm -hmm. chance to be a writer uh, to be all of those things is is so important um do you ever get like you wrote a book about sin Santa Claus? <laughs> I'm yeah. just curious because you're like this trial lawyer well, and you're professional and you're doing all this so, stuff. So when I came out with my novel, Deadly Declarations, they looked at me and they said, this is not another Christmas book, is it? <laughs> and she said, are you, are you still, I, I said, are you still writing Christmas books? I said, no, no, I've, I've branched out now. We're into a colonial period mystery now. But, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, I had there was a scene in the second book where Young Liz Raker is 11, and she's trying to hang on to the belief in Santa Claus. But but there's a bully on the playground who's telling everybody, you know, it's not true. And and I, I liken him to a televangelist trying to steal their souls for a hopeful outcome that particular Christmas. And uh, so she's going through that. She's struggling with that. But that's that's just part of it. You know, you're gonna it's like the blinders come off when you become an adult and you see the world in a totally different way. Uh, we'd love to see the world through the eyes of our children probably more often. Um, and I think perhaps the more we can do that, probably more peace we will be. And some, there's something in my books called a true believer. Um, and a true believer is someone who once believed in Santa Claus, but lost their belief for whatever reason. It could have been trauma, could have been the playground, could have been, uh, you know, Which can be trauma. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any of that. But then something happens when they're an adult and uh, they they begin to believe again and they become what's called a, a true believer. And of course, you know, we're talking about Santa Claus, but there are other things you can perhaps draw from this that uh, apply to, to everyday life. Because one of the things that the characters hang on to is this phrase, always believe. And, you know, they keep reminding Thad of the importance of that. Um, and in fact, his client in the second book, when he's down on his luck, is telling him, you know, look, 
that this is as much about uh, you know figuring out what you're going to do with your life as anything else. Uh, are you going? He says, you know, people fall into two camps: they either believe or they don't believe. And let me tell you what: you're the only one that can tr- can control your beliefs. And you know, believe in something good, believe in something hopeful, believe in something greater than yourself. Um, you don't have to see it, feel it, touch it, but uh, it's great to be able to believe in something um, and let that you know guide your spirit. And find people around you that you can believe in and believe and believe in yourself too. Yeah. I think, I think that's one of the most important things is that when they started believing in themselves, their Mm -hmm. beliefs grew to involve believing is, is so important um, in, in so many ways to hope and to, and to moving forward in your life. I think if you didn't believe you could write, we mm. wouldn't be talking today, Lantis, and I'm finding this very pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Except, except perhaps conspiracy theories, unless you're going to use it to write your next book. <laughs> yes. No, no, yeah. no. Just don't, no. Believe, just don't believe too hard. And, 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 you know, that's yeah. that's right. The world, Choose. the world Choose. is round. The world is round. By the way, yes. Yeah. See, that's that's the lawyer finding <laughs> finding loopholes. Um, <laughs> So what I would like to say is uh, choose carefully what you believe in Atlantis, mm-hmm. but, you know, definitely exactly. find things that, that are worthy yeah. of that. Now, you just mentioned, and I want to talk about that, um, that your novel Deadly Declarations yes. <laughs> um, is a colonial mystery. But okay. author Brian Greiner has another question. Um Landis, are there any book genres that you are on are on your list of things to try? Example, science fiction, urban fantasy. Is there any like, you know? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I uh, time is one of those factors when you're a writer. How many projects can you take on at one time? I don't think I'd be. I love watching science fiction. I love um, some fantasy, but I don't think I'm a. I wouldn't be a great writer for that. Um, I, I like to. I like to delve in sort of the the mystery and the uh, uh, and I, I do want to bring the courtroom into it. I suppose I could we could have a courtroom scene on 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 the deck of uh, of a Star <laughs> the Trek Enterprise. Enterprise. Yeah. I think they have. <laughs> I think they have too. Yeah, uh, that might that might be uh, well. But I'm always open to ideas because this this idea of co-writing that I did with Sir Archer on the. Uh, the death by podcasting, that was an experiment. That was something that uh, got, got me uh, really energized, which to try something new. So I won't rule it out by any means, um, but I am going to be working on the next uh, book in a series, this series that I started deadly declarations, um, which is the, uh, which is the three retirees in a retirement community who end up solving uh, mysteries. And um, it's kind of, I wish I could say I, you know, I had the idea, but I'll I'll put a shout out for the Thursday Murder Club for anybody that hasn't <laughs> read those books. Uh, they're great books uh, set uh, in in England. Uh, pensioners who solve mysteries. My 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 pensioners or retirees are in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they reside at the Indy Retirement Community. And they uh, in that particular novel, they latched on to a colonial period mystery that. Many people may not know about, but which is getting a little more play. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina, was the home of the first Declaration of Independence, as the story goes. And there's a lot of circumstantial and some direct evidence to support the claim that one year before the Declaration was signed in Philadelphia, um, it was signed in Charlotte uh, with a group of 25 men and a guy named Captain James Jack jumped on a horse and rode 500 miles to Philadelphia to deliver it to the Second Continental Congress. And one year later, John Adams accused Thomas Jefferson of concealing what had happened. Now, that is a matter of fact, because uh, we've got the letters to prove it. Jefferson told him he thought the story uh, was, uh, you know, an apocryphal gospel and it didn't happen. And uh, he was sticking to his story. And for years, the North Carolinians and the Virginians accused one another uh, of all kinds of things relating to this particular story. But I thought it'd be fun to have a story where um, a man is living in a retirement community who dies, who's working on a book about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. They find his body, but all his papers are missing. And these three retirees decide, one of whom's a lawyer, by the way, decides to try to figure out what happened. And uh, on the way, they end up 
solving a mystery that historians hadn't been able to solve for 250 years. So, so definitely in depth there with a lot yeah. of um, yeah. historical facts along the side. And I would like to add that I am thrilled that it is about seniors. We talk about mm -hmm. second lives and, and there's so much more time to read and there are so many more seniors writing because nobody wants to listen to their stories at the kitchen table anymore. Right. <laughs> now, that, yeah. now that they're not captive. <laughs> other things to do that that gives them a place to do it but well done i i think characters and it sounds interesting now is this a little humorous as well do we find yeah it, it is there's there's humor in the book um there's a fellow named jaeger alexander uh seen early in the book where he's shooting trout in the lake at the retirement community and that's how he finds out about the uh, lawyer who lives there they team up he's a very gregarious guy he's always getting him into trouble uh, so we put together a threesome. Um, it, it's uh, two men and a woman, and the woman's the smartest in the bunch. And the the lawyers. Uh, Are you sure it's fiction? Yeah, exactly. It's a, <laughs> it's not, no, it's, it, look, if, if it didn't ring true, nobody would want to read it, right? So, um, but she she's as smart as a whip, and the lawyer's down on his luck because he's been kicked out of the biggest law firm in Charlotte, uh, and uh, thinks his life is over because he has to live in a retirement community. So his arc is coming to terms with there is life after. Uh, age 65, life after a first career. Uh, people who live in these communities are not over the hill. They're not just looking for the next meal. They actually have a lot to give back, and mm -hmm. uh, they end up helping uh, this threesome, you know, solve this mystery. And if you think about it, you know, there's this, this sort of ageist belief that, well, when you get to a certain age, you know, life is over. But, you know, there's a lot of wisdom uh, in retirement communities. There's a lot uh, there to be had. And for people that are looking at that next act, um, you know, being creative is one way to do that. Um, use your skills. Use your And the great thing about writing this series, I hope I'll get the next book pretty much underway. Next, I'm going to explore the gold rush period in Charlotte. Next, uh, we might find a dead body in an old mine shaft under Bank, <laughs> under Bank, of, America, under Bank of America Stadium or something. You never know. We might do that. Uh, but, but the great thing about writing a mystery where you're setting in a retirement community is you can always have somebody move into the retirement community who's got the skills that you need to solve the next mystery. <laughs> Don't tell them your secrets, but obviously, great, yeah. obviously you have, you are having a lot of fun. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> fun. It's, we can see that. We can see that in you. Now, yeah. one of the things I love about the coffee cronies out there is they're always <laughs> researching and getting back as they talk. So Santa Claus says that, yes, Q held court on the Enterprise. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a definite. And author Janice Barrett says that Hank Snow was a guitarist, singer, songwriter who died in December 1999. So maybe it's just oh, a wow. Canadian thing, but I'm pretty sure okay. I, I'm pretty sure it was country. I I'm gonna have to look I'm gonna have to look that up now. I'm glad he turned out to be a good guy after all, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He was. Well, you know, backgrounds and that. We we can't get yeah. too much into the story of the book because right. I will I, I didn't read the last chapter yet because I'm like, yeah. okay, it's going to it's going into bigness here and yeah. I don't want to slip. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. ruin it for everyone. You won I, I jump around a lot here. You That's won fine. some awards for um for deadly declarations, right? I did. Yes, thank you. Uh, it, it it did well. Um, it's won ten, 10 awards and um, first place in a couple of you know, um, book awards and others, and uh, people have liked it. And so I'm really really gratified because it was a uh, it was a three sort of a three year deal. Um, as I was writing it, I was interviewing authors, and it wasn't until I came across a nonfiction author who had written the nonfiction book about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence that I thought. Well, this is what this book's got to be about, at least on the surface level. And I, I, I took my mystery I was writing in the retirement community, and I folded that in, and it just gave me the opportunity to write, write, write. There is there is a legal component to this. We put the the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence on trial in, in modern day in the Mecklenburg County Courthouse. We go to a lot of sites in Uptown Charlotte. Uh, people who don't live there will learn some things about Charlotte. Um, from the book, and uh, people who do will probably correct me about where I said things were. But uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's a it's it's a fun book. It's been fun to do it, and plus, us you know when I go out to book events now, I wear a tricorn hat and uh, you know the riding gear of oh, no. Cap Captain James Jack, and have a good time telling the historical story of the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. 
My husband has a tricorn hat, and yeah. he worked like anything to get that. <laughs> to yeah. Yeah. So there should be a club, men in tricorn yeah. hats. <laughs> long past, long past. Um, I'm I'm glad you have a tricorn hat. That's <laughs> so, so. So speaking of Christmas, what's your favorite Christmas movie? That is really hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, in the in I love that in the series you have quotes from right. uh, the, A Christmas Carol at the beginning of each mm-hmm. book, because the Alistair Sims long long ago version of script, mm-hmm. um, A Christmas Carol is one of my favorite. Um, A Christmas Story used yes. to watch it it's every perfect. year. Yep. It is it is it just brings the entire spirit of Christmas. Um, um together um you know i i love them i'm i'm a christmas movie mm-hmm. fanatic so you know it's a wonderful life i mean mm-hmm. right down to the bing cosby you know holiday yeah. inns yeah. and and so obviously you're you mentioned a miracle on 34th street the black and white version yes mm-hmm. yes definitely the black and white versions are best for everything right yeah they are that's good <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I love the Christmas uh, Christmas story. Um, also, because of the humor aspect, I like National Lampoon Christmas Vacation. Yes, yes. We can <laughs> we can we can cite all the lines to that. I wouldn't I wouldn't be more surprised if my head were sewn to the carpet. That kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> check all, check check every bowl, Russ. Check every bowl. You know. Yeah, but there's a part of there's also a part of him in all of us. We try so hard to have yeah. that perfect, you know. And then later, it's it's the things that went wrong. It's like weddings, right? They never yeah. go. Perfect. Well, it's it's like you know when when your family finally gets together and you're all happy to be there, but then after day two, it's like that scene, you know. Well, you know, it's Christmas. We're all supposed to be miserable, <laughs> and and you know. That's just because we haven't seen each other and everybody's in the same space. But I think one of the great things about you know Christmas for me is just having fam- being around family, you know, getting people back together, uh, the excitement of the season, you know, just uh, the joy of being able to give presents and surprise. And probably some of the favorite things over time is just seeing Christmas through the eyes of your children. They are um, the magic. You know, it, it's kind of like taking them to – the fair or to Disney world or something. It's not, if you go, if you go by yourself, okay, you might have fun or with your partner, but take a kid and see it through their eyes. And that's what what I was kind of trying to do with this, these books is see it through the eyes of children and, and have the adults blinders fall off and let them see it as well. Uh, Because when you see it through the eyes of children, you know, they're not overanalyzing things. They're just taking it in for the joy of the experience. This, and and that that all comes across as a um I mean, I love Christmas. Mm-hmm. I was a kid that, you know, parents tried to tell the there was no sense of just because she was punching kids <laughs> <laughs> She said there wasn't. So they felt they had no choice but to, um, you know, give me that story. And all the time they were telling me that my head was going like this, but inside it was mm. <laughs> like that. Um, because it is. And yeah, that's the best time with the kids is is those those years and that and seeing it through their eyes and you showed all of that i mean you brought out the best movies you quoted things i liked i'm a fan (laughs) what can i say these are sit beside your christmas tree everything is busy you've just had enough pick up these books i think it's like nine dollars for all three right yeah, um, and right now if you buy the books uh, separately, you can get the first book um the ebook uh, the christmas heist for free any you can download it on any online platform for free um and if you get the other books they're only like 3.99 or something each so yeah um if you and you can get the whole series for like that so it's not it's not much and and also i'll tell you this week until like through through the 25th of December, you can get the novel Deadly Declarations for 99 cents. It's Amazon's running a special. If you've got a oh Ken, oh if, go if go you, if you've got a if you've got a Kindle, you can download that mm-hmm. for 99 cents uh, in the next three days. Uh, so check that out. Yeah. So while we're marketing, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was going to yeah. do that because yeah. people need yeah. to know where to get yeah. these books. Um, 
where where is where are our best options looking for these? So obviously so, Amazon. Well, so the the Christmas trilogy is available on all the online platforms, Kobo, Amazon, you know, Apple Books. Uh, you got Kobo. You know, Brian will be so happy. Yeah, okay. Barnes and Nobles. Yeah, and and all those. <laughs> and uh, I think the uh, Deadly uh, Death by Podcasting is also available the same way, and they're they're also available online and in you know wherever you get your books. Uh, the Deadly Declarations is only available online in Kindle at the moment. Uh, it'll probably be out next year and more online platforms. Uh, but it, you can get the print books anywhere as well. So they're all, all available online. Just search for my name or the names of the books and you'll find them. As I said, Brian is happy. I'm glad to see your books yeah. on our own Kobo yeah. because, yeah. because that is his chosen and, and um, you know, doesn't, doesn't get mentioned often. So everybody go, Go get a copy of Deadly Decorations. De decorations. Now I'm thinking Christmas. I've said. Yeah, no. it's, all right. it's all good. The Christmas books are there. Uh, the Christmas Heist, the Legally Binding Christmas, and uh, the Christmas Redemption. Uh, or you can look up the trilogy or you can look up my name and find them. Well, I'm just thinking that they have to read the books because we need to have you back to talk about them. That'd be great. <laughs> if you yeah. like it. And, and, and if, you, if you like audiobooks too, I'll tell you this. Uh, this is a little secret. If you've got, uh, I think Spotify is going to take over the world in terms of audio stuff. But anyway, that's an aside. But you, if you've got the Spotify premium app, you can get all these audiobooks uh, for free for all the books. So you can just listen oh, to there them. there you go. You there know, you so go. that's another way to listen. And, and the narrator, he's really good. He's a actor out of LA. Um, he had a bit part, I think in Glee at one time as an anchorman and he's really funny and he does the voices really well. So he, he does a very evil, uh, Zachary Kane, who's the, he's the chair of the elf high council in book three. Um, <laughs> Zachary Kane. <laughs> Zachary Kane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we mumble as we say his name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hiss. Hiss. Boo. Yes. Uh, boo, Zachary. Yeah. But yeah, you can get those audiobooks there, and and the audiobooks aren't long two, two, three, four hours to listen to. So if you got a trip over the holidays and you got Spotify, you know, check them out. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, and yeah. thank you for writing the, mm. <laughs> the the Christmas courtroom trilogy because it is it is a fun Christmas read is everything that a christmas read should be um with modern technology yeah. <laughs> involved we did, we did work modern technology. I will, i'll tell you one yeah you know, I, I sort of i tackled this thing of climate change in, in book three and the only one star review i got for these books was somebody who, who said that um that if al gore were going to read a christmas book to his grandchildren he would <laughs> he would read this book to him and, oh and my he God, called, he, he, and he gave me a one star review because I, I guess he didn't like the idea of climate change. So to um, me, to <laughs> me, that that should be the on the back cover. Yeah, it should be. It should, so, I think that that might sell more books, right? Yeah. And, and 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 that would totally annoy the person who gave yeah. the review. But for me, that's a for the for me that's a plus. Not that yeah. we ever get political here on Freak. Right, right, okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> Okay. Exactly. You can't read any book without. You got to have a sense of humor issues. when it comes to people. Not every book's for everybody, but but that made my day when I read it. <laughs> <I> thought, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. making my day right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> so thank you for coming to Fika. Thank you for these wonderful books, and I hope you have a very good Christmas. Yeah, thank you, Vicky, and thanks to all your listeners. You're doing a great. Great program here, and I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Just thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You take care, and we'll talk right. to you later, okay? Bye-bye. Okay, I'm going to close up the comments, so I'm not going to see anything else that comes on. So just to let you know. Okay. Um, all right. So that was fun. And the rest of you, I will see you all next year. Until then, have a happy holidays, however you decide to celebrate or not celebrate. And may your coffee be hot. And your story sweet. Thanks for listening, everyone.
You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 103.3.